Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We're so excited to have you with us. Make sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you and enjoy the service. Um, it's my birthday. <laughs> I got this, that, no, 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 it's okay, wait, 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 no, it's okay, there's too much, too much, but um, thank you, though, I sincerely appreciate that. Look at this, I received this, um, they said, for your birthday, we got you this insecure bear, and he's in the front saying, I hope this is okay, um, hope, uh, you're tough to shop for, so then I received a, a gift card. And then it says in here, Dear Pastor Paul, we love you, we're grateful for you, and we're looking forward to another year of doing life and ministry together. And this is what blessed me. It's from the staff and the board, but it's signed, your people. Yeah, here's, here's what I want you to hear with all of my heart. Even though I stand up here, you're my people. You're my tribe. We're in this together. And, uh, and uh, I was just away on the other side of the world, literally, in Turkey, and uh, I was excited to come back to church, and I mean that with all my heart. You are my people, you are my tribe, and uh, um, I'm grateful. I was born in 19, none of your business, <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, we try to aim to, if you haven't gotten a birthday card from the church, that's because you haven't given us your birthday, and we can't do that unless you give it to us, but um, I, took this great trip. Um, I, I tend to do stuff for educational growth, studying the Bible, part of my degree. Uh, I have what's called a double doctorate. It's a doctorate of ministry, so it's practical application. And um, one part of it is in set futuring, thinking ahead of the curve. The other part of it is literally in the physical, literary, literary and uh, the archaeological settings of the Bible, basically everything material that has to do with that world. And so uh, I had never been to Turkey, and so I decided I'd go. And we have this habit in our house that when our boys turn 18, we take them on a trip. And uh, normally, it, usually, they end up getting dragged along with me on the trip I'm going on. And so my son Andrew and I went to the other side of the world, to Turkey, and just as a special treat, we paid for him to go, and uh, him and I went in a hot air balloon and if you've, I know it sounds crazy, and this, this was a luxury, please understand this pastor is not driving around taking hot air balloons all over Kingdom Come, and you know, I'm going flying next week or whatever, that was like a bucket list thing, but it was so peaceful because like you just started lifting off the ground at a healthy distance and you looked over, and then by the time you were way up, it was just, oh my goodness, this is so cool. And uh, Drew, you're my favorite travel buddy next to mom and Ethan, and uh, I, I really, I really love it. He, I call him the cat whisperer everywhere we went. Cats and dogs were coming up to him <laughs> and obeying his commands. But um, anyway, I, we went to Turkey. And for those of you that might not know where it is, it's above Israel. It's above Egypt. It's to the right of Europe. If you were to go across that lake, you would land in Ukraine. And believe it or not, Christianity didn't just, it started in, in Israel but we usually think of Italy as the place, but this place that we call Istanbul now, Constantinople, was 
where Christianity really was. The three oldest churches in the world, two of them are in Israel, and one of them, this one, Constantinople, uh, had the longest standing for the center of Christianity. It's known more for Eastern Orthodox Christianity, but uh, when Rome fell, they literally recaptured uh, Italy and recaptured that territory and restored the Roman Empire. So it's, it's an amazing place. You can find artwork of it going back, all the way back to the beginning of, of Christendom. And when you walk inside, it's amazing and breathtaking. It's some of the largest domes I've ever seen. And what is hard for me to do is that whenever I travel, I can't just look at a place as a professor or as a student or as an, a person of, uh, of adventure, but my heart always leans into the direction of ministry and pastoral thinking. And sadly to say, in the year 2020, uh, the, the country of Turkey converted this oldest church into a mosque. And what really burdened my heart was everywhere I drove, there was a mosque. In a nation that uh, declares, 90% of it declares that Allah is Lord and that Muhammad is his prophet. And um, across that back wall, in fact, in two weeks from now, we are going to have a pastor here who is a newer friend of mine. He is a, he is a national citizen of Israel. He's Arab. He has a church in the city port of uh, Haifa. And when the earthquake took place and people could not get to eastern Turkey or into Syria. He was going in there with relief, with help, with the gospel, with food, with drink, and you empowered that work by we, us giving him, or soon to give him, $5,000 to help that work go. You did that. So if somebody looks at, the next time you look at the TV and you hear about that great earthquake and you look at that tragedy and you say, oh, what a shame, you're able to look at that and say, actually, that's what our missions giving went to, to help those people. You touch the lives of people where the gospel isn't even reaching them by empowering someone to go into places that your pastor couldn't go. I stayed primarily on the western end towards Europe because that end is pretty modern, but if I were to travel further along on the farther end of that side of the country, they have what's known as the Jihad Highway, people who are joining ISIS, people that are joining the, the other groups that are out there are going into the Middle East via Turkey on that side, and it's a very dangerous uh, part of the world right now, so um, that's the part. I, my, I, don't, I only go where my life insurance policy allows me and where my, my, my wife gives me permission to go. Otherwise, I would be doing crazier things, but um, uh, I just wanna pray for this place. What's amazing is, is while they've covered over the art, it's starting to bleed back through. And you're looking at a cross that goes all the way back to like 550 AD, and uh, you can't keep a good man down, huh? Jesus just burns right through there. But um, I'd like to pray for this church, these people, and there's a church in Turkey, but it's a persecuted church. It's an underground church. And I'd ask that... Um, Tuesday, you come out. Be part of that as we pray for missions. If you've never been to a prayer meeting, it, it, you just, your heart will be encouraged. Tuesday night at what time? 6.30. I will be here, and uh, I encourage you, bring people that you know who may be far from Christ. 
but they need help, bring them here and we'll pray for them. And, uh, and we'll watch God do some great things. But Lord, right now I just pray for the nation of Turkey. And Lord, I just pray that you would bring light into that country. I know there are many missionaries that are in there risking their life, that are raising their children in a, a place where it's not necessarily safe to be, but they're doing it because they believe that you are the answer to this world, and we believe that. And Lord, some of us are goers, and some of us are senders, Lord. And I pray as this missions month comes, Lord, that, that um, we would renew and our vigor to empower the gospel financially around the world as we pray to make a f- promise by faith to give to world missions, Lord. We thank you and we praise you for what you're doing in Turkey. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this whole month's gonna be great. In fact, next week, you're gonna hear from a pastor who I met at the 9-11 memorial randomly, and turned out he is a very famous individual who was on death row in Egypt because of his faith, and he was brought before the Supreme Court, the equivalent of the Supreme Court of this nation, and he said, he said, all I ask is you answer three questions for me. Can you tell me that Allah really loves you? And every one of those clerics on that were like, we think so. He says, do you know? We don't know. He says, does Allah have a plan for your life? We don't know, we're just kind of submitting. And he says, do you believe if you died today that you would stand before Allah for all eternity in paradise? And they were not able to say with conviction, yes, yes, yes. And by a miracle, he was released off of death row. He came to the United States where he's been living and traveling and sharing his message. But this was so amazing. And I, 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 don't, I want you to have a, be pre-cued for some of these incredible speakers that we have. He, I, I go back to, to the 9-11 memorial from time to time. So I was there and uh, I just saw this guy going up to people and he goes, wow, he goes, that hole is really dark. It was evil that brought that down. And everybody's like kind of saying, yeah, yeah. And he says, you know, he says, every one of us has a hole like that in our heart. God wants to fill it. You know, Jesus Christ came into this world to, to, to fix all of the evil and the wrong that was done. And then I'd watch him pray for somebody and then he'd go over to somebody else and it was like he kicked up the same thing. He was like, wow, that, that hole is really dark. And he started saying the same thing. And there's nothing wrong with that because if you got a good truth, right, and you package it right, and so then he comes up to me and he goes, wow, that hole's really dark. I go, pastor. <laughs> and he goes, oh, hey. And we begin, and I'd never done this. I just, on the spot, I said, All right, how long are you in the area? And he said, uh, a couple more weeks. And we, ha- we brought him here to our church, and uh, uh, it was wonderful. So next week, the next few weeks are going to be absolutely amazing. The whole month is filled with great speakers. But I've had about all I can take with Ecclesiastes. I can't take it anymore. He's too depressing. Read the last chapter. It says, this is the end of the matter. Fear God and obey his commandments, for he will give judgment to all things, that which is done in secret and that which is done openly. Uh, love God and obey him. That's, that's what we get. And that, you know uh, the gist of that. But I... I'm inspired after going to the seven churches of Revelation to speak with you about those churches. And so we'll start this week and then I'll pick up after we're done. But I figured if I was gonna lead, I'm gonna lead on the right foot of what I believe this church to be and what letter applies to it the most and that is the Church of Philadelphia. And ironically, it was Pastor uh, 
uh, Daniel Messiah, who's speaking next week, this individual who's on death row, his wife came with him, and she shared with me, she said, I feel like this church is the church of Philadelphia. God has opened a door for you. God is opening a door for you that can't be closed. And that's what I want to read to you. So if you'd get your Bible, and you would turn with me quickly to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. <coughs> chapter 2. Chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 7. I'll read this through once. Now, before I do that, let me just kind of get, get your finger there in your phone, on your, your book, maybe you're online watching and you want to get there, but let me just give you a picture of where these churches were, and I just traveled this entire route and added a couple of other places, but they're all along an ancient travel route, a mail route, literally, an army route, that you can do the big circle, and if you do them in chronological order, you're really traveling you start at Ephesus, you land by one of the biggest ports in the ancient world, and you go up to those cities, it goes over, it goes down, and these churches end with the church of Laodicea, because it just goes in the order that they traveled. But there's nothing magical about the order, but let me just, before we jump into this letter, let me just explain something. Chapter one of Revelation, verses one and three, help us understand the book of Revelation better. It says, the revelation, or literally the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servant the things that must take place soon. And then you skip down one more verse. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Jesus is coming back. And... He wants to speak to his church. And you know what? The church is no longer buildings anymore. It's you and it's me. So these letters were written to very specific churches at a very specific time, but they're also written in, for, in two ways. One, in, it, it is an apocalypse. And what that is, is it's a whole style of writing that uses illustrations and metaphors because in the ancient world, it was illegal to be a Christian, and if you were to use the name of the emperor openly without being a worshiper of the emperor, without taking his name proper, it could, make, it could result in your death, in being a Christian. And so, rather than talking about the emperor a certain way, they cloaked a lot of it. However, you've got some people who want to take the entire book of Revelation and say it's just apocalyptic literature, it's not prophecy, but then you have to, in order to do that, you have to ignore two verses later where it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy. What is the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation is written to a specific group of people, a specific group of churches in a specific time, but it also has a prophetic message and truth to it that continues speaking into our circumstances, into our church, and into our time. Do you catch that? So Philadelphia, he starts off, and here we go. Verse seven of chapter three, and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write, the word of the holy and the true one, who has the key of David, who opens, who opens and no one will shut, and who shut, what he shuts, no one opens. Jesus is an open and closed savior. There is no wiggle room. What he opens, he opens, and what he closes, he closes, which means that God is sovereign. 
And if you're anything like me, you try and pick the lock from time to time, and he doesn't fault us for that. But I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Have you ever gone through a situation where someone has been in direct opposition? They have no reason, no right, no, no justification for doing it, but they torment your life, and then finally time passes, and they come back and they say, I am sorry. I was wrong. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may steal your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to Northeast Christian Church. Now, when it comes to the writer of the book of Revelation, chapter one, verse nine says, John, he calls himself our brother. He says that he was on the island of Patnos, and that's, that's what we have. So we have a, a, a take on that. We can either say it's the apostle John, or it's someone named John that was on the island of Patmos. But he writes in his revelation, and Jesus says, listen, I'm gonna tell you a lot of stuff, but I need to get some messages out to my church. And in fact, the churches were seven in total in that circuit. And what's amazing about these messages is that out of those seven churches, only two of them got nothing but good news. And guess what? If this is any consolation to you today, the Church of Philadelphia, the letter that we just read, is only good news. Someone say thank you. You're welcome. I wanted to start off on a good note. If you want me to rebuke you and dope slap you from one end of, of, of Tewksbury to the other with God's word and make you feel convicted, we can do that. But I love it when God gives me good news. I, I think I have, there's enough bad news in the world out there that it's good when you can have good news, especially from a good God in a good church, in a good place, and God turns around and he says to us, he, he introduces himself through this letter and he says, hey, he says, to the angel, the messenger of the church of Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David and open, what he opens, no one shuts, and what he shuts, no one opens. Now here's the thing about the city of Philadelphia, out of all the places that we went, it was the least impressive because there's nothing, there's a modern city built over it, there really isn't much to see, there really isn't much that we can make of it except from stuff that we know that's been written from it historically. And, uh, but here's what's interesting. There are a lot of churches, and this is not one of them, and we're not better than any other church, but I think that God wants us to be people not only of the New Testament, but also people of the Old Testament. 
There are many people out there that say, get out of my way, just give me Jesus. I don't need Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I'm in the new covenant of God. But what's amazing about all of these letters is that when he's communicating with the church, he's assuming that they understand the Old Testament. And this is one of those ones right here. He says, the key of David, when I was trying, the key of David is something that comes right out of the book of Isaiah. Look at this verse. In that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. Let me just get to the bottom line. I will place on his shoulders the key of the house of David, and he shall open, and no one shall shut, and what he shall shut, no one shall open. Did you know that that was in the Old Testament? I didn't until recently. In fact, I was traveling with an Old Testament scholar. His name was uh, Dr. Uh, David Emmanuel. He's, a, he's British. Don't you feel like the British accent is so cool? Like, it's even cool when it's coming through other, other accents, you know? It, it, and he's just like, all right, all right, let me tell you something here. He goes, uh, every church receiving these letters knew the Old Testament, knew the Old Testament. And I, I, he's just a hip guy, and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to him, and he goes, the idea that the New Testament made the Old Testament irrelevant for us as believers is wrong. In fact, the early church, that's all they had. They were in the Word of God. They knew the Old Testament. And what's amazing here is when he writes the church, he writes the Old Testament. And believe me, if you have not picked up Genesis, if you have not read through Isaiah, you need to dig into that. And if you're here and you're one of those people that you've just, you've, you've read through the Gospels and you've read through Paul's letters, but you've never read through the minor prophets and the major prophets, you got to dig in those things. And the, the thing about it is it takes work. You got to read the historical books to understand what's going on in the prophets, but you will walk away with such powerful truth. And as soon as Jesus sent this letter to the church in Philadelphia, and he starts talking about the key of David, they were like, oh my goodness. Now why? You have to go all the way back to the time of Hezekiah, one of the great kings of Israel. He is reigning, he is one of the great kings, he purges the land of idolatry, he purges it of immorality, and the enemy, the Assyrians, one of the most vicious marauding armies that ever walked the face of the earth, came in through the country, destroyed the entire northern half of it, and surrounded the city of Jerusalem. And they walked up to the city of Jerusalem and they sent one of their interpreters and they said, go speak in Hebrew so that all the soldiers hear and they, they become fearful. And so the guy starts saying, your God has given to us into your hand. And he's saying it to them in their own language, in Hebrew. And guess who walks out and gets right up in that man's face? It's Eliakim. He gets in there and he says, excuse me. He goes, don't talk to us in Hebrew. Talk to us in your language. In fact, I'm fluent in 17 languages, thank you very much. So he starts talking to him, and he disarms him, and he says, we're going to destroy you, we're going to kill you. And you know what? A letter, it wasn't a letter like this epistle, but it was a letter from the king of Assyria. And he said, I'm going to box you in, I'm going to carve you up. They were the inventors of crucifixion. They used to sharpen poles and impale people. They would skin them alive and stretch their skin and write billboards that would say, you're next. They would torture you, they would cut the heads off of everybody in the city, 
and pile them at the gate. And he takes that letter and he goes to the one and only place he knows that he is going to find help. And he goes before the temple of God. And the Bible says that Hezekiah spread the, the letter and himself before the Lord. And he begins to do one of these things. And if you come to Tuesday night, you might see somebody saying, oh, God, help me. I can't pay my mortgage. God, help me. They say I have cancer. God, help me. I don't know if you've received a letter from hell ever before, but this was one of them. And now God is writing to the church of Philadelphia in the New Testament, and he's writing to you and I today, and he wants to remind you that he holds the key of David. He is the king of kings. He can unlock addiction. He can unlock immorality. He can unlock vices. He can unlock brokenness and he can open a door that no one can close and he can close a door that no one can open I had so much junk floating through my body when I came to Jesus and God closed the door of craving shut I don't know why cigarettes took me so long does anyone know what I'm talking about but yeah yeah and it took me forever with cigarettes and back and forth and back and forth. But like God closed the door of craving and, and, and drive and open the door of joy and hope. And if you're here today and you feel closed and hemmed in, I want you to know that God does miracles for his people. You see, after Hezekiah did that with his letter, he came out and he, Hilkiah, uh, or this, this individual here, uh, he was one of the other guys, there were a whole bunch of them, but this individual, Eli, 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 David, help me out. Eliakim, thank you very much, both of you. Eliakim, you ever say that rubber baby buggy bumper? Um, Eliakim, Hezekiah, Isaiah, wake up and there are 186,000 Assyrians dead on the ground because the angel of the Lord killed all 186,000 of them. In fact, this is written in, biblical, in the biblical literature that we have, but it's also the seas and this whole situation is written outside of the Bible as well. Why would that mean something to the Church of Philadelphia? It means something to them because they understood the Old Testament. They were dialed into it and they got the key and they understood this is the God that when you are surrounded by a thousand enemies, he can do a miracle. See, the Church of Philadelphia was also surrounded by enemies. It was what's known as a, a necropolis, which meant that it had a temple dedicated to the emperor. So they had the city filled with temples to all the Greek and Roman gods that were there. And, and believe me, it, you might as well, have, like today, the equivalent of this would just basically be a gentleman's club, a strip club, which, by the way, if you're here and you say that you're a follower of Christ and you're going to those places, you are not a follower of Christ. You're walking in the wrong direction. You need to change your direction. And all the wives in the place said, yes. You've got, you've got something Jesus can set you free on here. But really, the religion was so perverse, it was filled with prostitution, it was filled with, with scams, it was filled with all kinds of garbage. And when Jesus turned, it, so not only did they have that problem, but they were surrounded by enemies on all sides. In fact, it was illegal to be a Christian at that time. So it was hard. 
They, you see, you don't understand, like we have something precious here. This room should, should be filled. Every seat should be filled. The fact that we can worship God openly. In the place where I was at at Turkey, they tolerated it from us because we were paying tourists, but that place would put you in jail for singing a song about Jesus. And so they're suffering on all sides. They have it hard. If you profess to be a Christian in this world in the time of emperor worship and, and pagan worship, you found yourself possibly at a moment's notice losing your family, being sold all into slavery. You lose your property, you lose your finances, and you could very well lose your life. We don't live under situations like that. And yet that's what the church was there. And so, so God goes out of his way and he writes this letter and he says, he says to them, he says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door that no one is able to shut. Listen, the Lord this morning here, I believe there are some of you here, you're really struggling in a difficult time and you're in a difficult place. The Lord wants you to know he knows. Hear me, the Lord wants you to know he knows. And he doesn't know like he knows your dirty little secrets. You know, this is an encouragement. The Lord wants you to know he knows. He knows your struggle. He knows your anxiety. He knows your disorders. He knows your quirks. He knows your problems, your challenges. The Lord wants you to know he knows. And it, I take comfort. And this church took comfort in hearing God saying, I know Jesus sees what everyone misses. Jesus knows you're on the edge of a break. The Lord wants you to know he knows. But I wonder what are some of the open doors that are surrounding your life that you're not recognizing? See, God is a God of freedom. This is what I love is, is that if I, I, I'm only, if I try and live my, my life based on the dependence of myself, I can only go as far as I can go. But if I live my life on the dependency of Christ, I not only give my all, which that's not, that's not an out for me to worship God with everything that's in me, but that God gives me options that I never could open, and he gives me sight to see things that I never could, and all of a sudden there are moments in my life where I feel hemmed in, and then I feel like it's over, and then all of a sudden I just push on a door, and I hear it go, and I go, there's an adventure, there's an adventure, and uh, I've got wandering feet, and I walk into this, and I'm like, whoa. I didn't even know this was part of the house. God wants you to know he knows, and he set before you an open door. He set before you an open door. Not only that, but it's a door which no one's able to shut. An open door, and a lot of times in the church, God is, and throughout the entire New Testament, and there are verses on this. I encourage you, if you didn't get notes, grab it. It's a great thing to read this week to get in Scripture, but there's tons of verses where it talks about an open door, and it's simply talking about an opportunity to share the gospel. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, and, we pr and pray for us. This is the Apostle Paul writing to one of these churches in this area, saying, pray for us that God may open a door, that God may open a door, in fact, I think I got the verse, yeah. I won't repeat that. Uh, yeah, I will. And pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Uh, an open door 
doesn't exist for you and I in Turkey, but it exists in this country. What does an open door look like? How do we share Jesus? I mean, some of you might be saying, I just got baptized today, or I'm not a minister, right? That's the, the, the thing about it is this is never about ministers. Any of these people who have been healed, I actually had nothing to do with it. I didn't even pray more than, I'm sorry, Pat, I did pray for you. I visited you. But like that critical prayer didn't come from me. That miracle didn't come from me. It was like a family member or somebody. That, and there was a, a preacher about 100 years ago, C.H. Spurgeon. A man comes to him and he says, I can't share Christ. I'm not a minister. And Spurgeon looks at him and he says, what do you do for work? And he goes, uh, the man said, well, I'm a train engineer. I run a train. And Spurgeon replied to him, he said, is the man who shovels the coal a Christian? And he said, uh, no. He said, well, start with him and work your way down the train from there. What, what does an open door look like for you? Um, we, we're really big on being friends with our neighbors, but I'm realizing that probably it's important for us to share faith with our neighbors too. Not everybody wants to hear it. Not everybody wants, listen, this is the great thing about God is, is that he doesn't force you to follow him, but it, it'll be the, the worst choice of a person's life not to do that. Why would you not want somebody who loves you and is looking out for you um, to be part of your life? I, but we need to look for those open doors that are there, but it's more than that for this church. It's, it's that they're shut out there's evil on all their sides, and God's saying, you're not alone. I've got space for you. You may be in a place in your life right now where you feel like all your options are up. I want you to know right now that if you turn your life and trust over to Jesus and you begin to talk to him, he will listen and he will help you. Maybe the problem won't go away. Maybe it won't go away quickly, but he has a way of opening doors that no one can shut and shutting doors that no one can open. Sometimes I thank God for the closed doors. Because I look at my life, and I, I, in fact, I wouldn't be here right now. I would be in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle right now. That's where I thought I was going before a friend of mine said, you need to talk to a pastor down the road. This wasn't even in my heart or on my radar, and, and, uh, and here I am with my people. Yeah. Now, he goes on, and he says this. He knows a, couple, a lot of things. I love... If you look at the ancient doors, like these things are huge. So when you're talking about opening a door, you need about five friends to open up these doors. Unless you're like Joel, then you can do it all by yourself, you know? But um, they're huge. I do that because that's that door right there. It looks like, oh, okay, cute. It's got some metal over it, you know, but that thing's huge. It's like four or five people tall. That's the kind of doors God opens for you. And he says this to the church. And I think he would be saying this to us too, I know that you have but little power. Let me stop right there. There are some of us in this room right now, and it's easier for us to focus on what we can't do than it is what we can do. In fact, we feel so hopeless. We're like, I can't change this. I don't feel like I have the ability to do this. And God wants you to know he knows that you don't. He knows that it would be changed if it was up to you. And he wants you to know that he knows. And it's going to be okay. He knows that you have a little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. In an hour when you feel that you have little power, keep persevering. Because sooner or later, God will answer. God will help, and God will bring hope. See, a champion is just somebody that got up one more time than the other guy who was in just as much pain as you. Isn't that right, Joe? 
The one that wins the boxing match is the guy that got up one more time than the other one, but both of you are in pain. Life hurts. You know, he says to him, he says, you kept my word, you haven't denied my name. I think of Peter when he denied knowing Jesus to protect himself. I think that's a great example of what it looks like, and there are other verses in there of other options of what it looks like too, but I think it's not that I am openly like somebody says, do you know who Jesus is? No, I'm not doing that, but you know what? There are some times where I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying to me, go talk to that person, and I'm like, no, right? The Lord wants you to know that he knows that you're nervous. He knows that you have a little power. He knows your works but he set before you an open door that no one can shut, and he knows that you have kept his word as, as in your weakness. He knows. He knows. And so he turns and he starts talking about, well, look at this. This is just, I want to show you something. This is the newest, can I go geeky here for a second? Say, Pastor, you have permission to be a professor for a minute. Go for it. Okay, go for it. All right, you asked for it. This is the entryway to an ancient home in a city that we'll talk about in the future. This is, on the left and right, a game board that is on the floor of ancient cities all over the place. Like you would do uh, backgammon, those kind of things, these ancient games that, that date back. This was a certain game. But what the church did, if you look on the, le on the left, there's one with just two lines through the circle, and then there's another one with a bunch of lines. And Older than the fish symbol that we have, we have this symbol right here where they added two more lines and out of it, you can pick out the first letter of five different names of Jesus in Greek. In fact, the first one is Jesus. The, the X there is Christos. The name of God is Theos and so on. And so because it was illegal to be a Christian, what they would do is, is they put this circle with extra lines in it, and somebody would walk by and be like, oh, wow, that's a different, they must be modifying the game, but instead of the game, it was actually a symbol that if you were a believer in Christ, you knew that that was a secret underground church. Out of all of archaeology throughout the ancient world, there's only one place that we found where one of these exists, and that's this right here, because right on the floor there is that symbol that I showed you, and in a Greek home, you would walk in and there would be a villa set up where there'd be an open patio in the, in the, in the middle. They have a lot less rain than we do. But off of it, it was kind of like you're upstairs. Do you, do you ever go over somebody's house and you know there's parts of it you shouldn't be wandering in, but you just have to? You know what I was thinking of doing was inviting everybody over for church and filling up my medicine cabinet with marbles. And so the person that just got nosy and looked in the medicine cabinet, it would just go, and I'd be like, that's the one. That's the one. Well, they had places in there. Don't be afraid of my house. You can look in the medicine cabinet if you want. I won't do that. Um, but they had these sections of the house that you just wouldn't go into. And off of this, you had these side rooms, and, and that was it. Well, if you go into this side room, it does something funny. It has a side room off of the side room, and inside there is the, one of the original house churches of the early church. Now picture this. There's no churches, there's just mosques. But somewhere in Turkey, maybe it's not a circle with lines on the ground, maybe it's a symbol on something, but how are you going to know who's a Christian and who isn't because your life depends on it? 
And for these people, they were taking a risk with their life and they were worshiping God. And I think sometimes the way that I live my life, I wonder if I'm living for things that Jesus didn't die for. That I'm too consumed with our Western world of comfort. And listen, there's nothing wrong with having resource. There's nothing wrong with having little resource. There's nothing, it doesn't mean one person's bad and one person's good. God trusts us what he entrusts with us. It's that we have to be good stewards with what he's entrusted to us. But, but I often wonder if I'm, I'm obsessing my life with things that Jesus is like, you're missing the point. You're missing that person. You're, this person could be encouraged by you. This person would give their life to Jesus if you invited them, if you talked with them. And, uh, and I just wonder sometimes if I miss that, and here's the thing, is, is that he, he says this. He says, behold. There it is. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. That's kind of a weird kind of saying. It almost sounds anti-Semitic, but it's not. Here's what you have to understand. In the first century... In the time after Jesus died, the apostles were going through the world. The book of Revelation was written. It was illegal to be a Christian. But the church started with Jewish people in Jerusalem. And the day of Pentecost, all of the people that are there filled with the Spirit, these are people who are Jewish. And they buy into Jesus as the Savior. But they don't live in Jerusalem. And so what do they do? They go back to where they came from because they heard people speaking in their tongues. If you remember in Acts chapter 2, he says, what is this? These people are speaking Parthians, Medes, Greeks, uh, you know, all these different people. What happened is as many churches came out of that day all around the world before the apostles ever reached there, before Paul ever landed there. And, and so he says the synagogue of Satan there was a problem that was going on. There were people who were Jewish or people who had converted to Judaism that said in order for you to really be a Christian, you have to become Jewish. And there were other people who were saying, Jesus is not the Christ and you need to become a Jew. Have you ever been in a social circle, a work situation, a family? where it's like you just can't win. They walk out into the street and they've got prostitutes, male and female, open. In fact, uh, you know, I wouldn't recommend it, but recently, uh, recently when I say that, I say pre-COVID, it's been that long, but uh, we uh, took a trip to New York City and there are people that were walking around naked, painted. I mean, it's just crazy, the stuff that you see. There really isn't much difference between our world and their world. They were surrounded outside of their world with perversion and prostitution, and it was all connected to uh, demonic worship of you know, gods that were not, are not gods at all. But then at the same time, the very people who were supposed to bring the truth of Christ to them and where it started, the Jewish people, now were saying, you, you have no part with us. Have you ever had a lonely time in your life where you said, I just don't have any friends? I don't have anyone that understands. Nobody who cares, nobody who understands. The Lord wants you to know he knows. The Lord wants you to know he knows. He knows your loneliness. 
He knows that this world, there are far more that are not serving him than there are. The closed door was more likely not a closed door for sharing the gospel because these people were doing it pretty effectively. The closed door was that there was nobody that they could fit with that wanted them. They would rather kill them. And when I see that, I say to myself, man, I need to make more of the opportunities that Jesus has given me, amen? You see all kinds of graphic artist and graffiti work. Here's a Christian cross, but then a, a, a Jewish person from the first century there chisels in a menorah, which is the sign of the lampstand. And then if you look to the, uh, the left, I think it is on yours, or the, yeah, on the right, it's got an arm. That's actually a symbol for the Hebrew word ma'od, which means like, you know, strong. That's like a symbol of God. He's basically saying Judaism is greater than Christianity. So it's like they didn't fit anywhere. Have you ever had that season in your life where you're just like, I just don't feel like I fit anywhere. The Lord wants you to know he knows. And it's okay. And you fit with him because you belong to him, because he loves you. He cares for you. And he goes on and, and, and he says this. He says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to those who dwell on the earth. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come at this time, but think about this. You're being kept by God. Numbers 624, the priestly blessing was this, the very first thing that came out of the priest's mouth. May the Lord bless you and keep you. See, I don't just want to be blessed by God, I wanna be kept by God. I know in whom I've believed and he is able to keep that which I've entrusted to him into the day of Christ Jesus. They kept his word and his name, and now he will keep them from the trial to come. I've got good news for you this morning, church. God wants us to know he knows, and he has seen. He knows our works. He knows that we have little faith. He knows that we have kept his word, and he will keep you. In other words, they will not be touched by that which touches others. And then he goes and he says, I am coming soon. Hold fast that no one steals your crown. In fact, in the ancient Greek culture, there's a myth about Apollo, the god Apollo, and I don't know if Matt and Sienna, I know Matt's here, I, I, I think Sienna might be in there, but the girl's name is Daphne, and that's their daughter's name, and the god Apollo wanted Daphne so bad that he didn't only pursue her, but he forced himself on her again and again. And out of a desire of, of just agony of being tormented by this self-centered, selfish, selfish God, she begs her father, who is supposed to be another God, and says, please deliver me from this, this man who keeps, this God who keeps pursuing me. And the story in it goes that Daphne turned into the laurel tree. Why does that have any bearing on us? Because in the Olympics, in the ancient world, it was the laurel that they would take and crown you. That was the gold medal for the Olympics in those days. And the Apostle Paul says it like this. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. You see, Jesus says, hold fast, I'm coming soon. Jesus is coming back. But you need to guard your crown. You need to protect, listen, it's not that 
I want to just be born again. Sometimes I need to be born again, again. Sometimes I need to persevere, and I need to, to, to continue in Jesus. I need to come back to Jesus. Sometimes, man, being rebaptized in Jesus is not the worst thing in the world. But he goes on and he says this, he says, to the one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, never shall he go out of it. When you're talking about a pillar, look at that, you could take four or five people and lock hands around that thing. Those things are so huge, and here's the amazing thing. They stand in a place of the world where some of the worst earthquakes have taken place, and one in, our, in recent years, and yet some of those pillars are still looking and just laughing back, saying, can't move me. I'm sticking around. Some of those pillars, they bear up incredible weight upon them, far more than you'd ever, ever imagine. And there's a Christian word in Greek in the New Testament where the Bible uses it for a word called perseverance. See, everybody quits. And everybody wants to give everybody the same prize. But that's not how you determine if somebody's given their best. We give out awards and rewards because of somebody who has gone beyond what is normal and what is natural. That's what the, the, this was all about. And he's, he, the only picture he can think of something that strong is, is somebody who is a pillar. It's a, Hebrew, it's a Greek word called hupomeo. It means to persevere. It literally means this, to bear up under the weight that's placed upon you. You see, because the person you are when you're overwhelmed with, with weight, that's the person that needs to continue to ask Jesus to change. I used to say it like this. When you're under pressure, that's who you really are. No, that's not fair. That actually takes away so much good from my life. But actually what pressure does is it shows me what I can handle and where I need to bear up in strength. That's the part of me I need to change. And the Lord wants you to know he knows that you've still got areas in your life that you need to change. And he's willing to do it. So because not only, uh, this is kind of funny, but uh, those columns, they were supposed to be in 1850 put into Congress, but they found that the United States made columns so terrible and poor that if they put them in there, the Capitol building would have collapsed on itself. This ancient world knew how to build pillars, and that ancient church knew how to build Christians. That could handle earthquakes, that could handle difficulty. And he says to them, I got some news for you. I will not only make you a pillar, but I will write the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem that comes down from God out of heaven and my new name. In those ancient temples, they used to write people of prominence and excellence. And what he's saying to us, church, is that the Lord wants you to know he knows. He knows you have little power. He knows that you've kept his word. He wants you to know he'll keep you from the trouble that's coming. He wants you to know that he possesses the key of David. And while you feel hemmed in and closed in, he can open a door that no man can close. Nobody can keep you from God's best, except you. Hear that again. Nobody can keep you from God's best for your life, except you.
you are not limited by your limitations. You're limited by how much you choose to be dependent upon God, to walk before him. I wonder if we could stand, and we're going we're gonna to close with a song here. And as we close, I uh, just want to remind you that um, we're going to turn this whole church over into missions month by hanging some banners and moving a couple of things. And uh, if you're willing to stay for just 15 minutes, more hands make less work, we'll be ready for the next month, which is going to be incredible. Um, but if you have to go, we totally understand that. Uh, but we just, I want to put that out to you. And I want you to hear what Jesus closes with. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God is for you, he's not against you. Man might close doors on you, but that wasn't God. God closes doors that no man can open. And if there is a closed door before you and it frustrates you, pause and say, thank you, Jesus. Because if I can't open it, it means you shut it, not man. He understands you. You are not alone. He opens the door that no man can close. And he loves you. He's for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this church. And I thank you for the church of Philadelphia. And we receive this encouragement today that you know we have little power. You began not talking about our limitations and our weakness and our struggle. You began that letter talking about yourself because you're the answer. I wonder if we could close our head or close our eyes and bow our head. If you can close your head, that's going to be very impressive to me. I'd like to see what that looks like. But I sincerely want to just give privacy for this for a second because you're here today and you're like, Pastor, some of those things that you were talking about, I need that in my life. You, 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 that's right where I am. You're here like, I feel helpless. I feel powerless. I feel, and I'm keeping his word. I'm, I'm trying this and I, I just don't know. I feel closed in or whatever. And you're saying, I need God to open a door. I need to thank God for a closed door. I need to just know that, that, that he knows. If that's you across this room with your eyes closed, everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed just for people's privacy, just raise your hand. And if you do that, just say, pray for me, pastor, pray for me. I see your hands all over this room, all over this room, all over this room. The Lord wants you to know he knows in a good way. He knows, and it's going to be okay. You're in the hands of Jesus. Trust him. Talk to him. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray across this room for everyone that has been seeing only their weakness. I pray they begin to see your strength. In them pulling and yanking and screaming at a closed door, they'd begin to walk away from those doors and try to open some, try those other doors to see what opens, what adventures there for them. Lord, it's, they're feeling like they don't fit. Lord, you have a place for them in the kingdom of God and in the church of Jesus Christ. That's why it's a community. Lord, I pray you're, you would make us a church of Philadelphia. We give you our lives and we give you this song to your glory and your praise in Christ's name. Let's sing. Thank you again for being with us today. To listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And go to ne-cc.org for all news, events, and updates. Thank you and God bless.